Hello again, and welcome to Fun Facts, Episode 2. This is the actual lawyerly knowledge episode. Um, in the first two episodes so far, I've, I've tried to reference legal jargon as if I know what I'm talking about, but thankfully at this time we have a real lawyer on with us who can set me straight when I try to make those mistakes. Who is um, that? <laughs> um, as ever, I am Amy Augenbaugh, and my co-host is... Carrie Strickland. And as our guest today, I'm really excited that we have the inimitable, what's your name? Maggie Ongele. Um, so uh, we do also have a slight correction to make. Um, last week, if you were really listening closely, you might remember that I actually said Carrie would be bringing on one of her friends as a guest. Um, but sadly, that guest is somewhere in a plane over the States, right? She's over America right now. She's looking down on all of us. Okay, so she's somewhere up in the sky. Um, so we'll actually have her on next week. Have you confirmed that for real, Carrie? Not yet, so let's not make any <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right, no promises. We don't know who our next guest is. Carrie and I were such quick friends, you could have gotten away with claiming it was me. I guess that's true. I, I realized that as I was saying this. <laughs> um, oh, and one more thing. So I've heard my friend's feedback, and we agree that a little bit of biographical background would be helpful to have on our guests of course eventually for us as well yeah um of course eventually for me and carrie as well but hopefully we'll do that through our website but in any case um as we introduce our guests each week we'll now ask our guests to share what makes them awesome um so just to give them an opportunity to bring forward any part of themselves or that they want to represent or use to back anything they have to say so with introducing that device maggie what makes you awesome I was running frantically after a bunch of zebras just two weeks ago, and it happens to be where I'm from, so I come from Zebraland. And where exactly is Zebraland? <laughs> I'm originally Kenyan, and I must say with that, uh, my boyfriend would kill me if I didn't uh, give myself a hard time for saying zebra, because they're actually pronounced zebra. According to who, who, who determines that pronunciation? Um, the Africans. Okay, that, yeah, that's fair. I'll give that to the Africans. <laughs> Do you identify as American now? I, you know, that's a long, a long answer to give. Um, I identify as, as Kenyan American, uh, and when it comes to, I tend to shy away from African American, um, because I think that it gets it, confusing. I could I could just go as African American, but I, I like to go as black. And you know, I think African American is is um, an honored title for a group of people that that in many cases built part of America with their own hands for free. And so, and and the reason yeah. why why I'm a black woman doing whatever I want to do with my life in America today. And so, I tend to designate that to an honored um, segment of the black community. And so I just, I just go by black or Kenyan American. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes perfect sense, but I of course don't have that perspective on my own. So. Yeah. It's, it'd be cool to, to claim that kind of ancestry, but unfortunately I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but and I'm, I've already mentioned that, that Maggie's a lawyer, um, which I think is awesome. And I wanted to bring up, I, I reserve the right when I ask my friends what makes them awesome to make additions to anything that they didn't say that <laughs> I feel like also makes them awesome. I'll keep plugging um, awesomeness as, as, as much as I do. Okay. You know, okay, good. Awesome awesomeness. <laughs> 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 okay. 
Um, okay, now let's go to topics. Maggie, why don't you ask your or raise your topic for us first? My topic is did millennials sabotage Hillary Clinton's um, presidential election win? Okay, and Carrie, what's your topic? My topic is called Dating in the Age of Trump. I love the name. That's great. Thank you. I made it up just now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my topic, I'm, re- I'm digging way back deep into my bachelor's in art history for this. Um, my topic is on the iconography of identity. Specifically, mm-hmm. we're going to frame that conversation by thinking about Beyonce today. Um, and how does Beyonce both project and subvert the image of a modern day Madonna? Um, my God. I know. I'm really excited and very nervous that I don't know how to talk like that anymore. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, Amy, <laughs> let's just go ahead and get out of the way the fact that anything you say will be way more intellectual than anything I can say. Here, here. <laughs> I'm here, here. I'm here. I'm fairly certain that this topic came out because I sent you like 10 Beyonce videos after our last episode. Yeah, that is 100% true. The actual idea for the iconography of identity came from when Carrie was talking about Katy Perry. Um, performing at the Grammys dressed in all of that political, like clear political imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, then afterward you sent me all those Beyonce videos. And so I spent a week watching the the three specific ones over and over again. And I built a case. I also, I need to shout out my friend, Emily Webby, who before all of this put a link on my wall um, about Beyonce kind of framing herself as Madonna as the like Virgin Mary Madonna, just for clarity, obviously not. 90s Madonna like a virgin but um (laughs) anyway so it all kind of came together but yeah we'll see how it goes I'm I might have bitten off more than I could chew but (laughs) (laughs) but I'm excited to hear it (laughs) okay well good um okay Carrie let's start with you I'm really excited about your topic good hopefully we can have some fun discussions about dating right now okay Um, So this came out because Match.com just released its Singles in America survey, which if you haven't looked at them before, I love them. They do one a year, and they survey about 6,000 people who are on Match.com to kind of learn what are the dating trends this year, what are the faux pas that people are doing, and then kind of what people expect out of dating. And one of the things that came out of this survey was that a vote for Trump was the biggest turnoff in America. Oh, wow. that's yeah. Wow. Actually, it's the oh wow. Okay, so I believe you. Mm-hmm. But, um, I knew this was your topic, but I didn't know that it was based on that survey specifically. And um, the Dallas oh, Observer surveys. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, so the Dallas Observer, in my prep for your topic, the Dallas Observer just published like their story on that, that survey. So in the Dallas scene specifically, a vote for Trump is the third biggest turnoff. Yeah, I, I looked at that survey and a vote for Hillary is the fourth biggest turnoff. I know, I know. Right. I looked, you, I know. Okay, so I, I want to know who are the first and second? I have this in Wait. front of me right now. I'm very well prepared. Yes, um, so the biggest, oh, do you want to take it? Or? I'll, I'll take this one for Dallas and then you can take the rest. Okay. So the biggest turnoff in Dallas is um, complaining on Facebook. And then the second biggest was being too active on social media, which genuinely makes me wonder who's dating in Dallas, because who hasn't done either of those things? (laughs) Yeah. um, Gosh, uh, what 
criteria do they have to exclude people who sort of market their business on social media and sort of uh, make it below the radar sort of I'm marketing my stuff, but I'm pretending to just have a good time with my kids. Well, I think that just, you know, I, I saw that article and I was looking at that and I will say, Amy, I think that was specific to Dallas. Yeah, it must've been. But the, the singles in America survey, it also mentioned complaining on Facebook and being too active in social media as two of the biggest turnoffs. Um, and it was more about what happens on a date. And so there was one question that said two thirds of people say it's a huge turnoff if someone has their phone up on face up on the table in front of them on a date. Oh, so I think okay. it's actively posting to Facebook and Twitter, etc., while they're on the date that is turnoff. One would imagine, um, right? Yeah. I wonder where that ranks with talking about your ex girlfriend because it's it's right up that alley of I'm not really interested. Right. Or even the idea that, like, if you're posting something on Twitter, that's more important to you than whatever your date is saying at that moment. So for the national survey results, the number one turnoff was was voting for Donald Trump, which is a, kind of amazing. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I know he lost the the popular vote, but still a bunch of people voted for him. Um, yeah, and I would say it's not over 50%, right? There are multiple criteria on here. It's just the largest one. Okay. And what followed, like, in the next rough order? Was Hillary on there? And Like, she was in the top... For, for Dallas, but was she on the national results? She was on there, but she was much lower nationally. Um, the next two were complaining on Facebook and being too active on social media. Oh, um, okay. Now, I just it just occurred to me, because I have this spiral of, of thoughts, um, thinking of being in the closet, there are a lot of people that voted for Trump in the closet, and I, I somehow drew a oh. random correlation between the occurrence of that and the occurrence of just being in the closet, but dating straight people. It might not have anything to do with a conversation, but I, 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 I like the correlation between trying to hide who you voted for in order to date. And a lot of, and a lot of that, uh, not necessarily just for dating, but a lot of that happened with the, um, Trump election, I imagine. And because I've seen a lot of people who you would have never imagined they were in a date for Trump. Um, and then afterwards they they had the, the red hat. I don't, yeah, I don't know who, speaking of uh, iconography of identity, the Trump hats, but um, I don't know, I don't know who named them this, but Trump or someone called his supporters the silent majority. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was, even in the election, there was a whole, like, there's a bunch of people that support me, but they don't want to talk about it, which obviously would translate to any part of your life, including dating. Right. Which is silent majority. That's not the first time that term has been used in politics. Right. I think. Nixon. It's so amazing how, how many different directions um, these topics can go, because then you think about um, Trump supporters were sort of shamed off of the Internet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, not that I'm offering any sympathy, but just an observation of you couldn't express um, even a slight veering away from Camp Hillary without people looking at you like, I'm going to defriend you, or is it unfriend? What is it like? de-fleecing, de-licing, unfriend, unfriend, <laughs> you know, and, and well, not so, face the wrath of a uh, liberal bill of Facebook homepage. Well, so it makes me, go ahead, Carrie. I was going to say, that's actually a really good segue, because when I was looking into this, um, I kind of went down the rabbit hole, and I found that since the election has taken place, you know, that is something that's been happening, is 
liberals have been refusing to go on dates or to like swipe right on people who say they're Trump supporters and vice versa. Um, and so there's actually been a couple of dating sites that have sprung up since the election to mm-hmm. corral people with like-minded people. Yeah. Um, the biggest one, of course, is trumpsingles.com. Yeah. Wow. It's $20 a month. It's 15 wow. more than it was on election day. Um, and it has 35,000 members currently. Wow. I don't know if that's big or small. How many people are on match? A lot more than that. Well, yeah, um, but it's only been a few weeks. It's a fair chunk. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, and so it's interesting because that kind of came up because the man who founded it, David Goss, said that he had heard a lot of his single friends complaining about the fact that they weren't given a chance to date because of who they had supported in the election and like this idea that if you support someone, you must be like them. And so if you supported Donald Trump, you obviously evasive, homophobic, misogynistic. Zeta. I'd be really curious how gay dating works on TrumpSingles.com. Because even, so even uh, Match, which is like the market leader in online dating, even they aren't up to speed on gay dating. Like, um, like bisexuals on Match have to maintain two separate profiles because like literally Match can't accommodate, like just show me men and women. That's mm. interesting. Yeah. So I feel like Trump singles probably isn't, I mean, if match can't even like their technology isn't set up that way. I wonder, I, I may have no idea. I won't ever be on Trump singles, but. <laughs> if you wonder, right. Never say <laughs> never, Amy. Never say never. Um, but I, I was going to ask about, I don't know if either of you are active on any dating apps for better or worse. Sadly, I am. Um, and it is very typical to see in my case, um, if you voted just from a man, if you voted for Trump, swipe, what's the, no, swipe left. No, 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 sorry. If you voted for Trump, basically, if you voted for Hillary, go the hell away. Is that a thing? Um, oh, absolutely. Wow. And I was just told this weekend that for guys looking at girls, it's the exact same thing, except if you voted for Trump, I don't want you. Like, it's just in your profile. Interesting. Thoughts, thoughts on that? Yay or nay? How do we feel about it? Well, I... Well, that, I, that is certainly behind the creation of TrumpSingles.com is the whole idea of, like, no red hats allowed. Um, and there's certainly liberal sites that have sprung up as well. I do worry it's creating an echo chamber, though. I very much worry about that. I mean, yeah. I believe it's, it sounds like a wave of extremism. I mean, um, what would these people do in... Uh, I'm going to drag you guys back to Africa. What would they do in... What was that blood diamond country? Um, Angola back in the day or, or you name any random dictatorship where it's it's all or nothing. I mean, the extremism of what really is one of the world's most democratic processes, because America still is a democracy, um, whether people want to accept that or, or let that simmer or not. Um, what would you do if you were in another country where you just couldn't... Um, and then coupled that coupled with nobody really reads the news. They just read clips on their home homepage of the Facebook. Right. And so Everyone's in their echo chamber. you wonder what births this absolute conviction to one side or the other. Um, and why is it that 50 years ago, not even 50 years ago, um, 10 to 20 years ago, people could go through elections and, and civilly make their decisions and, 
imagined coexisting and now it just cannot happen. I read, some, I read something a couple months ago that said that political ideology has risen dramatically in terms of whether, how, like how people choose their partners these days. Like, I don't know, a generation ago, it just wasn't as big a deal if you were liberal and he was conservative or vice versa. Um, but now it's like one of the bigger problems. If you don't match my politics, I can't, I can't partner with you, which I like being myself, like kind of get, but I also, I also think it's, it's super dangerous. It's the same reason that actually it's, it's, it's the same reason that income inequality is getting worse because ironically feminism, which woohoo, thank God for feminism. But, um, like men used to marry their secretaries because that's like the women that they encountered. And so the economics were different there because they were the executives and they were marrying, you know, yeah, a lower, lower, uh, org chart rank, but now they up, so to speak. I've heard right. that actually. But now that there's actually more parity in the workforce and more parity in terms of educational attainment, um, people with higher education, like both of them, again, this is all assuming straight partnerships, but um, like they'll marry each other, and that actually that's also being proven to make income inequality worse. And it's like the same idea with politics. If we're just kind of going into our little corners, it just doesn't seem very good. You don't get the chance. Well, I would ask you about that survey. I mean, I know that you're saying that nowadays people are more likely to date and marry others who have similar ideologies. But to your point about feminism, do you think there's some kind of macro trend to that as well? Like maybe in the past it wasn't as common to talk about politics in marriage or it wasn't as common to identify so strongly with a political belief. Um, you know, it's, it's less about politics and it's more about the fact that we always choose our partners based on similar having similar core values, and politics is now a core value. Well, and marriage used to be much more economically driven, mm-hmm. not so long ago. So we're marrying for more better choices now, but those choices self-select and they sort in particular ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I will say when I was reading through some of these um, articles and looking at examples of people who were interviewed. And pulling out individual quotes, um, it was striking how many people said, yes, you know, politics is very important to me, but what's more important is the thinking behind the politics. Is the what? Is the thinking behind the politics. And so saying, there was a quote by a man who said, if a woman is a Trump supporter, before I disregard her, I ask her why. And if she can articulate it, then there's a chance. But if she just says, because he's the better choice, you know that it's just kind of a gut reaction and there's no real reason behind it. And that's, that's where the cutoff happens. Which is kind of related to the same question of putting it in your bio. Like, is it, if it really is a deal breaker, maybe it should be upfront, but it sort of indicates closed mindedness in general. Mm -hmm. So I'm not very pro. I actually have seen, I have seen people like men saying, if you voted for, Trump swipe left, which is like to me the right answer. <laughs> but, but, um, um, yeah. but you you never know. Like to I think Amy, you and I were talking about this. I think yesterday um, that there's a lot of moderates out there too. You know, like I feel like politically we're getting more and more extremist, but there's still a giant group of moderates in this country who will say. I'm Republican on 51% of issues and Democrat on 49% of issues. 
And so they might want to dig into like what made you vote for one candidate over the other and right. know whether it's a deal breaker or not. Right. And you would hope that an interesting relationship is one in which you can have those, just any conversation, but including politics. Mm hmm. Just asking each other as it ends and and coexist, right? Just like challenge each other. Yeah, yeah. I was very torn when I was thinking about this because I can very easily see both sides of it. You know, I can see the idea that we don't want to create echo chambers. We want to be challenged. We want to talk to people who are different from us. Um, but on the other side, I think that throughout history, people have always chosen to date and marry those who have similar ideologies that they do. Um, whether it's about politics or whether it's about stuff like, do you want to have kids one day? You know, right. that's, those are discussions you should have before you get married. Yeah. Do you think that social media has sort of um, pushed everybody's ideologies to the forefront so that what was always a topic... Um, all these years past has, has become more obviously a topic now because so-and-so wears their heart on their homepage. Yeah, yeah I don't think it helps. Go ahead, Carrie. I, I would say that's entirely possible because you can see what people are liking and responding to as well, even if they're not posting it themselves. Um, um, which if, we, if we're going to solve the world's dating problem, because I know that we need to move on to the next topic... But if you want to solve the world's dating problem, um, since the biggest turnoffs are voting for Trump and complaining on Facebook, you can just delete your Facebook account. <laughs> you delete your Facebook account and don't vote. <laughs> I will say, we, we do need to move on, but I will say I, want to, I have to take this moment to endorse international dating. Like, mm -hmm. that's a really good antidote. To my, my, maple match. I was just about to bring up maple match. Wait, what's maple match? <laughs> Do you want to take this one, Maggie? <laughs> Sweet and sticky. Um, no, it's um, actually, uh, apparently there's maple match for Americans or, sorry, U.S. Americans, because Canadians are Americans as well, for U.S. Yeah. Americans who just cannot deal um, with this Trumpism and anti-Trump dating rhetoric. And so you can um, cross the border and figure out your budget for dating as well as a person. That didn't have Wait, so the, the matches are in Canada? In it's Canada. not like Canadians in Dallas. It's like in Canada? Know. It's matching U.S. citizens up with Canadians so that you <laughs> can move there. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I will say it's, that when I was um, when I was living in Europe, I never felt more like closer to Canadians. Because I always, like as an American, you just think of Canadians as like your friendly, like younger brother or whatever. Why they got to be um, younger? Because, actually, I don't know if it's a younger country than us. Um, I think yeah, it is. That's a great question. But, um, I'll Google that right now. <laughs> Thank you. In five minutes. <laughs> but in, in, in Italy, when everything was so, so different, and, like, there was uh, people from all all over Europe, mostly, at the school that I studied at. You're like, give me some turkey bacon. so much like us. Yeah. Turkey bacon and, yeah. <laughs> you never wanted yeah. turkey bacon more than, than that day in Europe. Yeah. Canada, Canada is the younger brother. That's what I thought. 1867. Yeah. Oh, look at that. All right. So the solution to tr uh, dating in the in the time of Trump is to date Canadians. That's the answer. 
to to delete your Facebook account and then date Canadians. Okay, I'm on it. <laughs> All right, let's um let's move to my topic. All right. How okay. would you like to introduce your topic? Yes. Okay. So again, I have found, or I think that asking a question helps me have a conversation with y'all. So how does Beyonce both project and subvert the image of a modern day Madonna? And we're going to start this conversation by looking at her recent pregnancy announcement. Um, the Instagram photo of her uh, in front of a wreath of flowers. Um, she's in a dark red bra and a light, like light blue panties, like very no sacrilegious. Well, actually that's the most religious piece of this most religious imagery, which I didn't even get till I read the article that my friend sent me. Yes. Um, below of the Madonna says this Catholic. Wait, are you Catholic? I am Catholic. Oh, you're perfect for this episode. Yeah. I, this is, this is exactly looking at the picture is exactly the Madonna that, that you have at the side of the altar and in most Catholic churches. Exactly. Um, and the quote from, so the article came from bitch media and the quote most intentional, however, is the actual clothing Beyonce wears in the photo. In a red bra and soft blue panties, she subtly evokes the Virgin Mary, most frequently depicted in Western art, in those very colors. Um, which is completely true, as I'm sure Maggie can speak to herself and I can speak to based on having specialized in Italian Renaissance art. Um, and then, this I didn't realize, the appropriated mosquito net as veil completes the statement. So, the article doesn't go deeper into why Beyonce might have picked a mosquito net. Maybe being from the south and it's swampy and mosquitoes and all exactly. It's, I mean, I, it's an yeah, African sort of pestilence. Right. No, I think that's. I think that's exactly the direction. Um, I don't know if it's because it's more. I thought of it as African because Maggie, correct me. You would use mosquito nets if you're out in Africa, right? Yes. Like that's a very typical thing. Yes, I, I was just in a mosquito net clad bed a few weeks ago. Um, And and yes, and, um, you know, and she would associate the South with her African heritage as well. As she often does. Right, which, so I thought of the mosquito net as an African thing, but it makes perfect sense for just a Southern American thing, um, which took me to my next kind of step in this, in this argument Um, The lyrics from Formation, my truly my favorite lyric from Formation is my daddy, Alabama, mama, mama, Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's just straight up calling out her hair. (laughs) What, Maggie? No, I I just said what? Ironically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, she's just straight up calling out her heritage there. Um, we need to make a special note here that Beyonce is a Texan. We need to always note when awesome Texans are mentioned. Houston, Texas, what's up? Yeah. Um, and do y'all know what the word, do you have, are y'all familiar with the word Bama? I looked it up. So Alabama? I didn't, well, yeah, it's, you know, obviously evokes Alabama, but the actual usage of, of the term Bama, did y'all know anything about that? Mm-mm. No. Okay. So it's, it, it essentially just means, being black in the South, a person who's black in the South. Oh, my, um, so I'm a Bama? Well, yeah, it's really more kind of a black hick. I think it's a term. Turn it, Amy. Be, I just want to put it in. 
<laughs> I think it's a term that can be can and probably originated as a sort of derogatory term, but it okay. seems like it's been reappropriated. I mean, Beyonce's using it to describe herself, so she's well. It's sort of like the N word, the the excuse for why people use N word. I mean, it's, it's like no, I, I've taken away its power by using it repeatedly. Well, but it, it is a question of like black people have more way more leeway to use that oh, word my god isn't that like a whole other topic for a whole other episode there's so much to talk about with that right so we don't need to go into <laughs> Bama or the n-word but basically acknowledging that she took that word um which i think was in the process of being reappropriated and like threw it out there as yeah i'm a texas bama wow um my actual reaction to that is and this is because i'm a, a native texan um, I think of Texas as not the South. I think of it as a separate thing. Um, and I've always kind of gotten that feeling being in the South. I, I read, um, I studied a little bit of um, Black history, slavery in the Americas and undergrad. And, and a lot of the, the books started off in the South. Maybe someone would migrate North. But Texas always seems to not blend itself completely with the South. Yeah, yeah. and I don't think it, it certainly doesn't identify as Deep South. You know, no. whether Southwest is another question. Right. But clearly Beyonce, I mean, her so formation, which is the, the lyrics we've been talking about, and then her whole video was is set in New Orleans. Um, so she makes sure to draw a very clear connection, her connection to the Deep South, which her parents obviously are from the Deep South. Yeah, and not just from some of the other, like, I don't know if you've seen the whole Lemonade album, but some of the, especially the later tracks on there are very indicative of Louisiana. Like there's mango swamps everywhere and it's just the style of architecture as well. Yeah, she's she's very in touch with um, her blackness, so to speak, uh, especially in the last several years. But um, And then here's another tangent. I wonder how much of that has to do with, the, if you, you all noticed, the Obama presidency sort of uh, emboldened the black community to protest and speak up more and mm-hmm. i wonder if, if that's her either truly feeling that or or selling it because it's what sells right now i mean i guess i believe it's genuine i mean it's also selling but um did any of you see so when she dropped formation which i believe was well i know it was april 2016 Mm-hmm. Or dropped Lemonade, the whole album, mm-hmm. which included Formation. And I knew that that was an album. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I meant to say at the start of this segment that every to, to our listeners, all three of us took um, BuzzFeed's Bayhive quiz, and all three of us failed it. So we're not Beyonce experts. So it's not Beehive. It's. I mean, it's Bay Beyonce. So I say I say Bayhive. Oh, well, I was French, it's it's Beyonce, but in I thought it was Beyonce this whole time. So it's not it, Beehive. No, it is. I guess I've been saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but but they call her Queen Bay, don't they? It's not Queen Bee. Is it Queen Bee? It's Queen oh, Bee. My- <laughs> yes, I think Bay Bay is sort of the uh, ironic. I'm I'm too lazy to say Babe, and then it. I've been wrong this whole time. Thing. <laughs> Oh my god, um, you guys are chipping away steadily at my street cred. <laughs> Wait, do you speak French though? Because you just kind of dropped that as if that was casual. I I do ish. I now claim it as as my fourth and a half 
um, okay, well, that's... language instead of like a full five because I don't practice it with anybody. What are your other languages? Wouldn't you like to know? Um, well, English, um, Swahili. Uh, well, actually, let me say them in, in the order I learned them. Uh, Lua, which is my mother tongue. It's a Nilotic language um, of the Nile. Um, Swahili and then English. And then I learned all this by the time I was five. And then uh, French came forth. And then Shauna, which is a Zimbabwean language. Um, Zimbabwe is at the northern tip of South Africa. And that was by the time I was eight. That's very impressive. We should, Mm -hmm. that was a tangent, but that was worth it. It it totally happened to me. I I didn't quite... <laughs> plan to ram all these languages up my brain. Um, well, yeah, yeah, but most Kenyans will speak three languages by the time they're between five and seven because you have your mother tongue, which is a whole different language that you learn first, and then you have Swahili, which is a social language, and then you have English, which you learn at school. Wow. Yeah. Okay, we have to get back to Beyonce. This is too much fun, but. Beyonce, Beyonce. I love it when she goes to France. If you look at a clip of her in France, it's like, Beyonce. <laughs> they say it right. Um, it's a man's name, by the way, in French. It's a it's an actual name? I thought it was just, like, given to us by her mother as, like, a gift. No. Oh, actually, <laughs> I, it's, it's a man's name, and I think it's her mother's last name. And it is her mother's last name. probably changed it to B-E, uh, because in France, it's it's I think B I, but they wanted it to phonetically sound right, so they changed it for the American population to B E. So it's Beyonce. Okay. Strange. Yes, I have all this useless information now. <laughs> um, no, I did know that it was her mother's last name, but that it was spelled differently. But that so that explains why it was spelled differently. But so what I wanted to say about about her iconography is that I think what's most interesting to me about what Beyonce is doing with her image is the way that she's mixing patently Western visual tropes, like the colors of the Virgin Mary. Like that is a long history in in the Western visual iconography, but she mixes Western images with symbols from the African culture as well. They're from different African cultures. Right. And she all, under like above all of that very loudly declares that she's a black American Southerner, which I do think is a more recent thing, mainly since lemonade, but it's been kind of building. I like how lemonade is a, is like a huge monumental time marker. It really is though. I mean, I was going to mention earlier that Saturday night live skit that after specifically formation came out, there was a Saturday night live skit called the day that Beyonce became black (laughs) <laughs> did you, either of you see that no so it was it's really funny um and it's basically it's when white people noticed that she like obviously we've always known that she was black but the the skit was when beyonce came out and performed formation um at the super bowl in the like black panther type outfits people did react up in arms like how dare she bring black panthers to the the Super Bowl, and that was the point of SNL's skit was saying, like, yeah, she's always been black. Are we surprised? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the formation video, I mean, it's the, it's the opening line is, what happened after New Orleans? Which was, you know, basically, we abandoned this city 
obviously the people of the color in the city were, were hit the hardest. And there was a lot of questions about how we didn't effectively address that, that crisis. Um, there's a very quick image in the, at the end of the video where it's just, it literally is just the text that says, stop shooting us oh, wow. spray painted on the side of a house. So like she was very much saying like, I'm yes, I'm of this community and I care and I'm, I'm angry about it. Not angry. Isn't the right word, but or one of, that's one of the feelings. It's what? I'm sure that's one of the feelings. Yeah, probably. Yeah, there is, I, I don't imagine there is one right word to encompass yeah. that. But I, I will, it did feel like she kind of jumped into that pool. Because beforehand, I mean, I liked Beyonce beforehand, but I always thought of her as a pop artist. Mm-hmm. In the same way that like, yeah. oh yeah, I like Britney Spears, I like Katy Perry, like... They're enjoyable. They're catchy. They'll get stuck in my head, and that's how kind of how I saw her before this album got released. And then she didn't just kind of dip her toe into like I'm going to do a personal album. She completely jumped into it in a way that made it impossible for anyone to interpret it differently. But it's still super measured. Mm-hmm. Like as, it's as very well crafted. Yeah. Right. And I just think one, we just have to observe her brilliance because that's hard to manage your image that well. It's, mm-hmm. it, it just blows my mind. And, and to be so potently artistic as well. I think her videos are, are just huge, hugely amazing things that I could watch over and over. Not that I actually have, but um, I think recent Beyonce videos have been quite enjoyable for me who doesn't watch videos and, um, I think she's quite the artist. Yeah. Is that our summary on Beyonce? We just all agree that she's amazing. We, I, uh, I think she's amazing. I do think she needs to, to tone down the, the sacrilege a little bit. Um, Wait, seriously? You really think so? You know, um, actually, everything is... I look at... Uh, I'm Christian Catholic, and I look at the Bible as, as a history book, just as much as a spiritual inspiration. Um or and, and even its folklore, um, and and I so so from that sense of kind of looking at things from from different perspectives, I could totally respect how she um, draws the inspiration of Mary and 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 all of that and translating it into art. But at the same time, it's. I think it's rather, it doesn't shock me personally, but I think it's rather shocking. And maybe even to some people, a lot of people very insensitive. Like your your uh, Spanish grandma is not going to appreciate this at all. And they're going to recognize what this picture is immediately. Um, but at the same time, if, if we listen to our um, old-fashioned grandma about anything, we wouldn't move anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I'm, I think I'm stuck between the gasp, how disrespectful, but then yes, um, you know, do what you do. It's 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 all everything's out there for to draw inspiration from. Hmm. Yeah, and I at the same time, out. sorry. No, go ahead. At the same time, it, it just occurred to me while I was talking about this because, like I said earlier, I, I studied a little bit of slavery in the Americas. You have a lot of um, African religion. Um, traditional religions from Africa that traveled across the pond with the slaves that 
um, slaves were not allowed to practice. And so they couched um, their, their um, practices and rituals, which, which can be, could be, or were interpreted as witchcraft and um, Catholic and, and um, traditional um, Judaic Christian um, motifs and, and, and looks such as this. And so she may be actually in this giving an ode to an African religion goddess that she totally is fashioned after Mary to, to, to hide what was going so, on back then. So we're like super overtime, but I don't care because this is too perfect. Um, I mean, she, she totally is, especially in her hold up video, which is the one where it starts with her. Actually, I think it's the very first track in the album. Um, she starts like literally underwater in a house, like just completely submerged in water. And then she ends up, um, kind of strutting through the streets in this beautiful yellow dress and just like literally beating, like breaking stuff with a baseball bat. Um, and (laughs) Um, Carrie actually shared an article with me on how just a, there are just a ton of symbols in that in that video specifically that recall the Yoruba faith, yes. which originated yeah it originated in Nigeria, Benin, and Togo. Right, right. Um, do, I think you shared that with me as well. That was so um, education, not to be a, a dork about it, but educational. And I just ate it up the imagery there and, and the ode to, you know, reading the article and then comparing things was just, it was like reality, you know, things you've read in books sort of come to life. Right. So she's doing all these things at once. Um, and quite consciously. So obviously. Yeah. And I think it's great that I mean, I think it's great that she started as a pop star, which she still is a pop star, obviously. But I'm glad that she has the has reached a point in her ability to express herself creatively, to pull forward all of these, like, mainly marginalized identities and just kind of fuse them. I mean, I don't come at it as a, from a Christian, as a Christian, but fusing them with this traditional Western history of, of what we, you know, typically depicted as the Madonna I think that's a, I think that's awesome and great and important for Americans to see, even though they don't necessarily know what they're seeing. And I think it's important, uh, very much for African Americans, African American women, um, because these religions and practices that she gave an ode to in so many different ways are not things that just sort of happened. They've been going on for a while, but no one's ever looked at it and thought, "Wow, that's cool," or "That's pretty," or, or even "That exists." Um, mm-hmm. And so she, back to the closet, she kicked open that closet door for so many people who, like you said, previously marginalized or, or ideas or imagery that's previously marginalized that, um, in, in that way, I cannot be, you know, angry Spanish grandma. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will say, because the, the album is just, visually, it's beautiful, all the videos in it. Um, and to your point, I think it's, I, I enjoy the fact that in all of the videos, she's embodying kind of a different personality and ident- a different identity. So she's not just speaking to us as Beyonce, she's speaking to us as Beyonce through all these different lenses. Um, and she, I, I think she is doing it to call out kind of these marginalized identities. That's amazing. Uh, you know, like, like I started off saying earlier, of course, she's using a certain 
period in time to really maximize marketing herself. But just it's simple now that it's done and we can analyze it. But the, the genius in that, um, you know, is, is amazing. Hats off to her and, and the fact that um, she's using her stardom or her celebrity to bank okay what, what was previously not okay is, is and making money off of it I mean independent woman hey it's, that's amazing right alright well let's appreciate Beyonce continually but at this point put a pin in it let's necessarily move ahead um, Maggie reintroduce your topic and we'll get started on it did the millennials um, aka us did we sabotage Hillary's presidential election uh, possible potential rather um, by our sense of entitlement? And it sort of loops back to um, what we were talking about earlier, how it's all or nothing with millennials. So I think the fundamental, the answer to that question lies in. So basically your premise is, Millennials were more excited about Bernie than Hillary, which is true. And then you had the whole melodramatic, oh, if Bernie's out, I just, I can't do it anymore. It's all about me. Um, right. So did did we actually lose votes when we settled on Hillary? Like, did millennials cross from Bernie to Hillary, or, or did, did we actually not vote? Right, completely, and not vote, and and by the the melodrama on your Facebook homepages around when that was happening, did they social media influence other gullible social media consumers into just not even being as as passionate as Trump voters were in the closet drinking game alert? <laughs> you know, I think the whole um, <laughs> drinking game alert. Speaking, I mean. Actually, the closet applied to Hillary supporters, too, because, well, I don't know, at least in my window of experience, it's it, people were very excited to promote Bernie on social, and other people were excited to promote Trump on social. But the Hillary voters, especially our age, I think were just much quieter. Well, Hillary's campaign didn't really inspire any kind of fiery rhetoric either. That's true. Yeah. Um, do you think Hillary sort of rode the, I am female, if you're even remotely feminist, you should vote for me, and, and so, well, unsuccessfully rode it so much that they didn't speak passionately to an audience that was there waiting on potential energy um, as much as Trump did with his people and just directly hit the nail on the head and said, I'm a bigot, let's do this. Do you think she should have guilted feminists a lot more into into um, voting for her? And then and then would have oh my god, there's so many things popping out of this. Would have feminists even realized that they are actually feminists and voted for her on that platform? Because apparently, feminists is, is like a four letter word over here in America. Is it so, not in oh, Kenya? No, if you're a feminist, it's you're a feminist. It's what it is. You you believe in women being treated. Uh, equally and respectfully as, as men are and demand to. And over here, it's like a really bad word and nobody wants to be associated with it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't do know. Think, Go ahead, Carrie, please. I, I do think the Hillary campaigned on the premise of I'm a female 
look at what we could do together, look at the glass ceiling we could shatter. Um, but to your point, I mean, feminism isn't exactly the rallying cry here that it is in other countries, maybe. Yeah. I still um, feel she did, she didn't ride that feminist wave and platform um, and guilt us feminists <laughs> to all come out for her. I'm assuming we're all feminists here. Um, yeah. as, as, as Trump really rode the, you know, Mexicans get out, border, wall, whatever. Um, well, I think putting out Hillary's there. campaign, essentially, I mean, it. I got the feeling it didn't really stand for anything. It was more of what she's not than what she is. There you go, yeah. You know, it was a lot of, like, look at Trump, I'm not Trump. We play nice. Okay. Yeah. Or, like, look at Bernie, I have better economic plans. I am not your cool uncle in school hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, thinking back, I've, I've never thought of it that way and probably because no one's ever really crystallized it into one line like you did but I think her campaign lacked a, a strong platform and um, it was a lot of I play nice instead of what am I doing who am I why do you identify with me right and one of the problems is I mean you could argue that she ran the campaign poorly in that sense that she didn't really rally the base but could she have, you know, because as we saw in this election, that silent majority that the Democrats have that voted for Uncle Bernie in the primaries, they never would have gone for Hillary because of what she stands for, because of what her family has traditionally stood for in the Democratic, in the Democratic Party. She was too centrist, is what you're saying? Centrist, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Maybe we just can't elect centrists anymore. God, that's terrifying. That we're, we're dating all or nothing. Um, yeah, but I, I still do feel that, um, and I feel this way for the very same reason that I, I think this Russian election hack actually happened. And, and, and I've, I've read that it's happened in New Europe a bunch of times where they realize and have harnessed the power of social media influence and they sort of give you a, a steady ivy drip of, Hillary's not a good person. Hillary's not a good person via like email exposés and it actually changes the outcome. And in the same way, I really do think this whole stomping our feet because we didn't get what we want as in Bernie out of a candidate um, really helped to dampen um, any little passion that would have been left behind Hillary well, yeah, going back to the steady repetition thing, that that like that is totally a thing in psychology that repeated exposure to any stimuli makes you more looks like accepting of that stimuli. Boom. So for sure, hearing it over and over again makes you feel better about it. Um and then on top of that, one of my favorite commentators, um John Dickerson, he runs Face the or he hosts Face the Nation. His whole theory about the lies that Trump tells, um, which are just straight up lies, not all of them, but I love most it. things. It's bold, um, isn't it? Yeah. Well, his so John Dickerson's theory on that is there's two strains to a lie. There's the lie itself, and then there's the like fact that we have to keep talking about it to sort it out, and that's actually more powerful because in order to fact check a lie, like you have to repeat the lie first. And that, that gets to the repeated exposure. It gets the people who are listening to it to just hear that piece of it. 
and they hear the, you know, 10 second repetition of the lie and they don't listen to the longer explanation of, oh, it was actually this thing in Sweden, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that totally definitely played a role. I mean, that came out in Pizzagate, didn't it? The fact that <laughs> yes. all these major networks were talking about Pizzagate and then all the people who believed the conspiracy said, well, the major networks wouldn't talk about it if it was just a conspiracy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but getting back to the original point about whether millennials kind of shot ourselves in the foot in this election, I know traditionally millennials have very low voter turnout. Mm-hmm. So do you think that has would have had the same impact as it would if like we were talking about the boomer generation or something, or is it the fact that millennials don't really vote anyway, so whether they abstained or they voted for Hillary, would it make a difference? You know, I honestly don't think it would have. Um, I really, uh, after, after even talking about it for, for just a short while, that really wouldn't have been what, um, turned the corner for Hillary's um, voting presence. Um, I think what scared me most about it was just that people can sort of make what what is a broader civic duty a personal choice. And uh, we're now in, in the age where we can disseminate it um, on social media and create a bit of a movement about it unwittingly. Um, and so maybe my issue is, is that people took that personal stance and had a public platform to disseminate it. And like, like you were saying, Amy, um, you see it on your homepage a few times. You, if you're gullible enough, you might actually take on that. The election is, is all about me and I shouldn't think about the, the, the greater good or their importance of, uh, well, it also gets, it gets into the question of voting based on identity politics, which are usually, I think, very powerful drivers for millennials, but not powerful drivers for massive nationwide movements. Or I, I posit that I might be proven wrong, but yeah, I think identity politics are so freaking important and yet not politically powerful. Yeah. Essentially. What I guess pairing it up with the possibility of sort of the, that Russian hack and how it might have psycho- psychologically affected the greater public is what I think um, I merged and scared me about the thought of, you know, your, your personal views are no longer at a small scale audience-wise because, you know, the world becomes your oyster with, with Facebook or whatever other social media you have. So you're saying that, like, millennials who kind of made that choice to stand with Bernie and it was like the Bernie or bust that their outspoken views on social media may have swayed undecided voters or moderates against Hillary. Yeah. Or, or just the general base of millennials who, um, can be young and impressionable when it comes to politics and even younger than millennials. Mm hmm. Well, I wonder if that goes back to the question of is a two-party system still the best system for the U.S.? Because I've been on both sides of the aisle. You know, I've heard the kind of Bernie, Bernie supporters 
saying that the left needs to faction too. And I've heard Republicans, especially since Trump came into office, saying that the right has to faction as well and they need to have a separation of Tea Party extremists um, and moderate Republicans. And so if we stick with the two-party system, are we dooming ourselves to make each party more extremist to cater to the base? Or yeah, I do, kind of, I do wonder you know, about... Greece? Sorry, I'm sorry, Carrie, you can finish your thought. No, that was it. Um, I have wondered about, like, we're not going to about, we're not anywhere close to going, moving away from a two-party system. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah, but parliamentary systems. Millions, you know, got like 2% of the vote this time. Yeah, which was like more than lots of times. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the biggest ever, but I think it might have been. Um. I just don't know enough about parliamentary systems, but I feel like if there's more than two options, you're just not, you're just, you can't be as polarized because like, um, Italy has like five major parties. So people Mm -hmm. have strongly held opinions and there's a spectrum of where the things sit on the party, but it forces coalitions. I know that's happening in France right now. They don't want Marie Le Pen to get elected. And so they're forming coalitions, which like that forces a compromise among these other groups opposing Le Pen. Mm-hmm. And that that is sort of um, unofficially what what Democrats uh, and Republicans were forced to do. You know, once once you've got that nominee, then you've got to uh, get together. But I think on a on a positive on the positive end of it, it forces you to to think and realize that, that there is middle ground. And compromise, um, and then you go to the extreme side of dictatorships and and, and um, messed up elections in Africa, where you have tribalism, and a lot of parties form along tribes or ethnic groups, and then you have uh, people playing tribes against each other, um, and next thing you know, you've got like an ethnic cleansing and some kind of genocidal event, and so. Uh, wow, that took a hard left. <laughs> and, so, and so, and so, you know, I, I think, I guess, I guess, being having been exposed to like both ends of it, and I wonder, you know, what's what's truly the good in it, and how does it balance out, and how do you start introducing that to a, a deep, like you were saying, Carrie, a deeply rooted um, two party system like we have, and it's not just a two-party system. Obviously, it's now in our homes. It's I'll only date Trump and marry Trump, or I'll only right. date Democratic. And um, How do you marry those two? Well, we just, I mean, I think that what we keep bringing up here is we need a forum for people to have moderate conversations, not necessarily to be moderate, um, but just to have that conversation in the middle. Yeah, Um Figure out, That's figure out how to be normal human beings that can share the playground. Right, yeah. That's the dream, right? <laughs> Back to step one. <laughs> how to be a nice kid that plays with everybody. Yeah. Okay, so well, no, go ahead. Fun, better um, childhood education so we can all learn uh, those lessons. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's, um, I guess let's wrap up. I have no idea where we are on timing, but I guess we'll figure it out when I cut this together. Um, it's okay. You can only always blame the Kenyan. 
We don't do on time. <laughs> we can we can say you made us late. <laughs> <laughs> we had a Kenyan on staff. <laughs> Hakuna Matata. That's actually comforting. <laughs> That's comforting. I'm just saying. Um, okay, so who wants to? I don't care the order of who wants to. What's what's giving someone hope this week? Actually, maybe I should start because mine is not particularly hopeful, so I shouldn't end. Oh, so that's a lot of pressure on us to be more hopeful than you now. Well, I think it's not a. I'm not setting a high bar, so you'll be okay. Okay. Um, so this gives me some hope, but mostly it gives me uh, anxious anticipation, really, is my thing this week. But Donald Trump has hired an art historian. Um, oh. Right. After my own yeah. heart. To yeah. Do it's, well, to sit on the National Security Council. What? <laughs> like... <laughs> Is after after my own heart, it's running away very quickly, Kenyan style. <laughs> okay, so she actually does have some some bona fides. Um, she's well, I mean, she has some credibility, but not necessarily an ideology that I would share. She's worked for both Rick Perry and Ted Cruz mm-hmm. as a security advisor, national security advisor. So she's been doing this for a number of years now. Um, and you know, you, like I studied art and now I work in it. Like you can, your career path can shift. Um, that's true. But if you're an art historian who goes into national security, I mean, that just invites comments about like Nicholas cage and the national treasure movies, doesn't it? Well, a little bit. Um, especially when she, so I, the thing I love the most about this is that she, so her official position is going to be, She's Trump's senior director for strategic assessments on the National Security Council. And she, her actual research specialty is Italian Renaissance art. So I kind of have to, like, she's part of one of my tribes. Um, so I have to root for her in some way because that's what I studied. Um, she wrote a book called David's Sling, which one of my professors wrote a book on David. So I have to read both books now and see how I feel about them. But David's Sling, A History of Democracy in Ten Works of Art. So she's kind of tying together questions of democracy with with art, which I think is awesome. I'm thrilled about that. And I think the thing that most gives me hope is this quote from a Washington Post article that says, Coates' appointment has put, her name is, um, what's her first name? Victoria Coates, Dr. Victoria Coates. Coates' appointment has put conservatives in the rare position of defending the value of a liberal arts degree, which I'm thrilled about. <laughs> um, the, quote, the quote from one of those conservatives is, the point of a liberal arts degree is to learn how to think critically, that a person can discern truth. The intensive reading, writing, and thinking involved translates into lifelong skills. That's from Maria Jeffrey on the partisan website, The Conservative Review. Maria uh, Victoria Coates' strong speaking, writing, and critical thinking skills will not only serve to benefit her will only serve to benefit her on Trump's National Security Council. And, and those with those 60 words, I've never agreed more with a, conser- with a conservative. <laughs> I, um, I, I smell a date. What <laughs> <laughs> um, say you, yeah, Carrie? Date, 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 date. <laughs> Forgetting maple match. Yeah, just, I mean, we're, we're just talking about reaching across the aisle to date. Like, is that not how we started this conversation? That's true. Let's follow That's through. <laughs> But liberal arts for the win. I'm glad that we have some representation. I guess. I mean, I'm I'm gonna trust that she kind of knows what she's talking about. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. It gives me some kind of confused hope. 
that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, I, I would say let's. The optimal word is confused, but <laughs> also now now I have this very specific image in my head of Donald Trump with Nicolas Cage's voice talking about stealing the Constitution of the United States. Oh, was it the Declaration of Independence? It was the Declaration of Independence. There we go. I need to watch these movies again. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> the Donald Trump panning to the camera. We have to steal the declaration of it. <laughs> uh, Maggie, what's giving you hope this week? What is giving me hope this week? Um, I think I, I had something lined up, but after having this conversation with you ladies, what gives me hope this week is living in a country where uh, we can have this conversation and freedom is for real. We're not like I was, like I mentioned earlier, you know, random dictatorships, you can't even voice your opinion. Um, you know, someone might be knocking at the door to come take you away for even thinking that your vote actually, and, and your thoughts actually mattered. And so it gives me hope to be in a country where in about four years we can, uh, erase and <laughs> start all over again <laughs> with a new person in the white house. That's great. Yeah, that's great. That's very hopeful. That's true. Yeah. And, and that I'm in a country where um, women are so empowered. We may take it for granted, but so empowered as to be able to speak so freely and, and with, with just raging and roaming opinions uh, on the air. Um, and so it's, 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 a, it's a certain version of dance like nobody's watching. And, and I love that we can do that here. Well, thank you, Maggie. And I'm glad that you were one of the women we could bring on to share her opinions this week hey i got more if you need maggie opinions <laughs> <Take them out. laughs> all right carrie bring it home what's your thing all right um i think i have two things one is i watched an interview with the editor of teen vogue the other day which um as we all know that magazine you know it's like this teenage girls magazine but it's really gotten involved in like political discussions yeah and- they're killing it yeah, they've, they've written a lot of articles about illegal immigration. Um, and so the, the interview was basically asking why they chose to do this. Um, and the editor put it very succinctly, which was, you know, maybe teenage girls want to know what lipstick looks best on them, but this is the stuff that matters, and so this is what we're going to cover. Um, and I thought that was a very a kind of mature way of answering that question, because you could say, like, we want to talk about lipstick because it's what's going to sell magazines. But at some point there's stuff that's more important than just numbers. And it's about educating the public. Um, So that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is the fact that we spent 20 minutes talking about Beyonce where last week, I don't think Amy had you seen lemonade at all. I have not seen any of them. Shame on you, Amy. So that gives me hope that there are still people out there who are discovering (laughs) this album. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. No, I watched, um, I was at the gym today and I just watched those three videos on repeat for like my 30 minute run so that I could be very well prepared for today. So what you're saying is you want me to send you more videos. And what? You want me to send you more videos is what you're yes. saying. Actually, I need, I need treadmill music. So have at it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so Maggie, the next thing we do is I read the credits and then we, all sign off by saying goodbye. So that's what's happening now. Um, we have a, a few more credits than normal this week uh, because I want to s- especially thank this week Hindenburg Radio Editing Software um, because they did a sale this week that allowed me to purchase their 
very fancy radio or soft, um, audio editing software for super cheap because um, Hindenburg was celebrating UNESCO's World Radio Day, which came on February 13th. And their discount, they discounted their product to $1.90 in order to bring awareness of the, in recognition of the global poverty line, which currently stands, according to the, set by the World Bank, at $1.90 per day for a family of four. Oh my gosh. I know. Wow. Um, So they did their part by running the promotion, and I want to do my part by acknowledging it in my little form in the tiny little platform that I have. And I also want to thank my friend, Emily Jackson, who told me about the sale. Um, and Emily actually has a brand new podcast, which is launching this week called she's running where she interviews women from all over the country who are running for office. Oh, and you should all nice. subscribe to that. You should check it out at she's running Um, Emily was, we were both kind of starting our own podcast at the same time. So she's been really great to, to, you know, talk about these things with and figure it out together. Um, and Emily actually has like a degree in communications. So she, um, she knows what she's doing a bit more than us. Hey, um, I, I thought I executed my part quite professionally. <laughs> thank you very much. You should have seen those radio host moves. <laughs> we all have um, wonderful radio voices. I'm sure. <laughs> and then the last few credits, um, I want to thank Zencaster, which is our call and recording platform. Our intro is Crazy Glue by Josh Woodward. And our outro is Love Wins by Lee Rosebeer. Uh, thank you all for listening. We are so grateful, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.